In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. Today we have a very special guest with us as well. Armin, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, how's it going, folks? My name is uh, Armin Hadacic. I'm originally from Bosnia and Herzegovina, but I uh, swam all the way here to, to be a part of this podcast. We appreciate that. We really appreciate that. No, always, always and forever. Um, I'm currently in uh, grad school. Yeah. Um, with a focus on political communication and film. So this is a pretty, pretty good fit for me. I, yeah. I see this as kind of like, you know, doing some, some major squats at the communication gym, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, so let's get down to the debate. So this occurred uh, last week. We had 10 candidates up there for the primary debate. Each one had a minute and 15 seconds to answer original questions and 45 <laughs> seconds to answer follow-ups. And actually, they did a pretty good job detained to the clock this time. I was kind of impressed. Yeah. Well, I think they got they got punished a bit in the um, in like the second or third debate where they said we're gonna cut off your time if you start interrupting people. Yeah. Um. I don't. Do Do you think that's even like an efficient way of? I mean, I think the debate format in general is a very inefficient way to get candidates' message out to the people because all of it is done in, like, bite-sized morsels without any opportunities to substantiate on what they're they're trying to say, you know? Yeah, Um, especially since there's, like, 50,000 candidates up there. Yeah, with with (laughs) 10 candidates on the stage, and the whole debate lasted two hours and nine minutes. Yeah. Um, It's just, like... There's just no, to your point, Armin, there's like no time to get into uh, really deep issues. Um, And you see like trying to, this is a point that I think Nathan has as well, is like trying to divide time evenly among candidates with like vastly different competency levels and also like vastly different levels of importance to the end result seems a little bit, I don't know, seems strange to me. Yeah. Yeah. It gives a lot of like distrust proportionate power to people that are not that important yeah because i think everybody at this point knows it's a it's really a three-man race no it's really a three-man race but people think it's like a four-man race with like i, I think place. an argument can be made for pete Buttigieg. <sighs> he he's i mean he is ahead in iowa like i think which that, is weird but then again it is iowa they love blandness and some people state. would even <laughs> some people would even say that maybe kamala no, but I I think she's down and out at this point. But yeah. uh, maybe Kamala. But like anybody below Kamala, there's no they argument doing on that for stage? why they should be on that. What stage are they anymore. doing? Except for one person who I thought gave a surprise performance of the night. And you know, even though he is not going to be president or even get the nomination, uh, he gave a a kind of performance that maybe reinvigorate uh, hope for him. Uh, well, Let me guess, Andrew Yang? No, uh, I, I mean, I always enjoy uh, Andrew Yang. Uh, I, I've liked him ever since he announced his presidency back in like 
like December, January of like 2017. So he's been running for a while. I've always liked him. No, it's Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Think, yeah, that's be, what I thought you were gonna say. Yeah. But and I think it was it was Kyle Clancy that said this, and I kind of agree with him on this assessment. Is it's clear that Cory Booker doesn't care. Yeah. As much, um, he's focused less on being polished and just kind of like bearing his soul out on stage. Which, let's be real, is kind of what he should have been doing at the beginning of his yeah. campaign. This yeah. is what he should. If yeah. he had given the performance that he gave. Last on last week's debate, I think he would be, I think he would be neck and neck with maybe Pete Buttigieg for like fourth yeah. place. Maybe if if he got more traction, he could maybe rise to third. Um, but at this point, at this point, he's like trying to be, you know, Secretary of State or like Homeland of Health and Human Services Secretary. Who knows at this point? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and um because we'll we'll definitely expand more upon sure. that. Um. So the way that we're gonna kind of format this is we're gonna take it. Uh, one candidate at a time. Uh, we're going to talk about the candidate, say how we thought they did, and kind of give our overall uh, perspective of were they a winner of the night, were they a loser of the night, or were they just kind of there? Um, so let's start out uh, with Tom Steyer. Yeah, Tommy Steyer. Let's get him out of the Yeah, stage. let's get him out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrificial lamb of the night. Um, yeah, t- uh, See, Tom Steyer, I feel like he started a campaign to impeach the president, which was never going to get anywhere. And he got a lot of people to donate to him. He got a huge email list. And then he turned around when, because let's be real, his impeachment, his whole impeachment campaign has nothing to do with the impeachment inquiry that's going on right now. It did nothing to affect that. But then he turned around talked to all of his, uh, the people on his email list, and then used them, used that major contact network that he set up to help with his campaign. And I just, I don't like that. I'm not okay with that. Tell me why. Why, why are you not okay with that? If, if it was totally bad faith, that would be one thing. But do you think it was? I don't want to say that it was completely bad faith, but I will say that it was kind of a cheap shot. Mm. Um, because like it, the thing that made people excited about about him to get onto his email list was because he was saying we are a campaign in order to impeach Donald Trump, which is very, it's very easy to get people on board with that. Well, people that, you know, are Democrats on board with that. 70% of people. (laughs) Um, Not that are Democrats that aren't Trump's base. Yeah. Just to clarify. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, but then to not really, uh, not really get anywhere with that movement, but then use the people that you developed that you were able to get into contact with, that you were able to establish as your network of contacts mm-hmm. from that network to then back up a presidential campaign when you're someone who has never had any political experience. Um, when there's already like a thousand candidates in the race, yeah. I just... It almost feels like a bait and switch. And it, yeah, it feels like a bait and switch. Yeah. And I'm not... I, I, I'm sure Steyer is a perfectly nice guy. He seemed nice. Actually. He seems pretty nice. Andrew but... Yang called him out for being nice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems pretty nice. I don't want it to sound like I think he's a terrible human being. I just, I, I don't like the way he did his strategy. I don't like, um, I, I don't think his candidacy is a, strong. is it's strong. Yeah. It's just PR for his like organization. What was it like Next Gen America? I think it was the only he referred to Next Gen America like seventeen times throughout the whole campaign. It's like this is literally a commercial for my organization, right? I'm just here because yeah. I want people to donate to my organization to I, I 
I guess he wants it to turn it into a pack. So that's kind of how I mm. see it. It's yeah. just like free publicity, which let's be real for a lot of those candidates, either running for president or up on that stage at this point, unless you're one of the four, three, maybe four serious front runners is just PR for yeah. you as a brand. And yeah. for Steyer, he embodied that, I think, more than anybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even like even the most hopeful version of that story is that. Like that's probably that's probably a moderately cynical version, but like yeah. even the most hopeful is this pack or this like organization is all I've done politically. Like it's, yeah, it's like it, my singular accomplishment it. that I can talk what, about. What yeah. was he know? Well, like he's a billionaire, but how do he get his billions? And investing or I, I think know. I think it was investing. But that does <laughs> but that does actually raise another good point, which was the part where he said, "I'm the only candidate on the stage that yeah, thinks that, that climate weird. change is the number one priority." No, you're not. Like no. it was. Yeah. It, I think it was like the second debate where they went around and asked people what their most important issue was, and like half the candidates said climate change. Like no. Tom, that's that's not true. Yeah. Like, I, I, I get that you care about it. That's a good thing. Congratulations. But you're not the only one that cares about it. And you're not even the only one yeah. who that's that's the biggest priority. I felt like more than anyone on the stage, his rhetoric was focused on, like, trying to be, like, the one that did X and, like, yeah. the one that cares about Y. And it's like, no, dude, actually, like, like he's, he called out specifically, like, structural change resolving corruption in Washington. Yeah. Like, that's a big issue for him. And it's like literally like Warren Bernie like the one thing that everybody on stage agreed stage agreed with was corruption in Washington it was like the yeah. issue that everyone touched on right yeah. so very strange also like the only now, not all of them not all of them have the policies to actually back sure. it up no. but yeah. all of them talked about it all of them did yeah and the only thing he specifically called out, he he said he phrased it like the same way every time. I'm the only person that wants to address structural change in Washington. It's like term limits. <laughs> and then he moved on to a different point every time. It was like just Actually, term limits. I, term limits, though, I think I, I haven't heard any of the other candidates call for that. Sure, sure. It's easy to get behind. Like it's easy. It's easy to make an argument for. I actually don't believe in term limits mm. uh, for for uh, people in Congress. Um, the way I see it, they're called elections. You just want Bernie to stay in. No, no, that's not <laughs> even it. I, because the because uh, the biggest problem uh, with the career politicians is the corruption, which is created by all of the money that's in politics. Sure. If you give if you give people term limits, that doesn't get rid of the money in politics. Yeah. That doesn't get rid of the essential problem. It's just a new face with the exact same corruption. Yeah. Uh, I I just. I don't think that term limits are going to be the big solution that people think that, think it is. Yeah. Also, I think that and maybe this is a little bit off topic, but like there's something to be said for developing a skill in what you're doing. Yeah. And so like I'm not saying that like, you know, you should be a, a, a super skilled like career politician. Like that just probably doesn't make that much sense. But like having the skills to get something done is what we look for in politicians. Yeah. And that's something that you develop. When yeah, you absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which... You know? Brings us back to Steyer. <laughs> Never had any elected office. Yeah. Honestly, he, I, he's got no cause to be in the race. He's just, it's just PR for next in America. And every time I hear like a billionaire saying like the way the way Steyer does, it, we gotta fight these corporations. I want to take on corporate America. It's like you're a billionaire. I I know for a fact that that you're you're lying to a certain degree mm. or at the very least your heart's not 100% in it um yeah. i i think maybe 
I don't know. Just, just I'm, I might be going a bit too cynically to assume <laughs> that every billionaire who says I want to fight corruption is, is lying or BSing. But yeah. I feel like in Steyer's case, I can, I can smell, I can smell the filth sure. well, from him. To be in his, in his defense, um, he actually has called for a wealth tax, which is definitely the one thing. I that respect that. The, is, is definitely the one thing that a lot of billionaires have been crying about. That's so why I don't I, like Bill Gates anymore. So I actually <laughs> don't. I don't necessarily think that he's lying when he says that he wants to fight corruption. I don't even necessarily think that he's lying when he says that he cares about all these issues. No, he actually seems like yeah, pretty he seems sincere. he seems genuine. I just I think that I don't think that his candidacy is what this election needs. No, and I don't think that uh, I don't think that he's necessarily in it for all of the right yeah. reasons. Yeah. All right, let's talk about his performance really fast. We don't have to talk about because yeah. we've already talked about the specifics, but overall, how did you guys think he did? In a, in a weird way, I know I've been kind of dunking on him a little bit, but for a second there, like in the moment watching him, I, I was almost convinced because he is a very charismatic um, speaker. And I don't know, maybe it's like kind of like weird grandfatherly like diction in his voice. I was like, okay, you might be onto something. But when you step back and kind of analyze, and then of course the fact that he repeated next gen America, next gen America, like many, many times, yeah. all of a sudden my opinion of him went down. So I will give him this. Um, if you wouldn't have known who Tom Steyer was, um, it's very easy to be taken, be captivated by his performance and, and think that he is genuinely for all the causes that he says he is. I find it weird how he's trying, based on what he talked about because of his emphasis on corruption, he talked about homelessness and the need to create more affordable housing. He's trying to paint himself as part of the Bernie and Elizabeth Warren wing, but again, given his credentials and given that, again, this is a PR stunt, I don't know how much I, I buy that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, um, I mean, he was just kind of there for me. Like, I don't think he said anything particularly bad. I don't think he said anything particularly revolutionary. I... I don't think that that debate performance is really going to move him one way or another. I think that he's going to stay at like the one to two percent that he has. Yeah. Yeah. I was not particularly like blown away. I thought that the substance of a lot of the stuff he talked about was like on, like it was on point for the most part. It was um, not particularly controversial. It seemed like, like the, main Democratic Party platform that everybody kind of starts from, at least almost everybody on the stage. So I was kind of like, I don't know, to, to your point earlier, without a really revolutionary way of looking at things and without really the credentials to make the case, I'm not sure exactly what exactly he's doing up there. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Cory Booker. Uh, I will actually say that I think that he had the line of the night. The... Uh, I think you might have been high when you said it with oh Biden's I mean, legendary it was, moment. It was obviously rehearsed. It was obviously yeah. planned ahead, but it was funny. It was I mean, great. It was yeah. and, and honestly well delivered. Like it yeah. was rehearsed because like you wouldn't accidentally well, of, say that. Of course it was well delivered. I mean <laughs> it was nice delivered. Cory Booker said it. Like yeah. he let's be real. He has some he has some problematic things in his record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I didn't like I didn't like uh, him arguing against the wealth tax, um, but he is one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen. Yeah, like he just every time he talks, you just can't help but like him. Yeah, um, 
at least at this point, but in prior debates and in the beginning of his presidential campaign, and I guess throughout um, how he portrayed himself during his time in the Senate, that wasn't it was that was either not apparent or it was very suppressed, and he was held back because like when he is talking about issues uh, that that he that he cares such about the war on drugs, which yeah. I really appreciated that whole discussion. How he. He'd shifted the emphasis not just from decriminalization but legalization in general, which yeah. is a vital distinction. I was like, if you would have been this passionate and this so authentic towards these issues, I I think you would have done a lot better in the presidential race than you did. Um, but as it stands now, because it's so late in the game, this is not your time, Booker. Yeah, I get um, that. But stick yeah. around. Um, I liked I liked his. His documentary is great, and I've always liked his cinematic presence, so hopefully uh, we'll see more of that in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that from like an economic perspective, he was probably the person other than Bernie and Warren that talked probably the most about like economic issues, and he mm-hmm. focused his narrative on like tax justice, yeah. which was an interesting like alternative to the the more redistributive yeah. approaches that, that Warren and um, Bernie have. I think the idea that you're going to make up like enough to cover significantly progressive programs from yeah. like closing tax loopholes and like actually making up like like it seems a little bit like far fetched to me that you will actually be able to make up all that ground where everybody else has failed mm-hmm. the many times that they've tried. Yeah. Um yeah. But I thought it was a, a cool way to like kind of look at that issue and also one that might align potentially more with like commonly accepted like american values like yeah don't redistribute wealth no just like make it fair fair like a fair shake that kind of thing how Which did you, how did you feel because the thing that i'm thinking about right now is his whole idea of using tax credits to make renting more affordable yeah, yeah, yeah. do you think i mean we all live in the northern virginia area and renting can be a, a nightmare um, but do you think something like a tax credit to sort of mitigate that financial strain could be effective or is something more holistic and progressive necessary? Because it's 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 a big problem, not just here, but across the country at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I, I like I, I thought his plan was interesting. Like so. So specifically, his plan is um, for people that spend more than a third of their income on rent, you would provide a tax credit between the amount that they're paying and the area median rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so basically, that is to combat gentrification. It it basically is to subsidize people that are spending a disproportionate amount of their money staying in um, areas where the rent is skyrocketing. Yeah. My worry from an economic perspective is that that's just going to obviously go towards rent which is going to go towards landlords which mm-hmm. is like yeah. at least in the short term going to have no effect at all like, no. you know so long term it might incentivize people to invest more in housing mm-hmm. um but the fact is that like in a lot of these cities the solution is vertical not horizontal because yeah. the horizontal is by definition gentrification mm-hmm. and so if you like are moving out further away from the cities and not building large skyscrapers, I don't know like what 
how that actually like drives a long-term solution. Let's evaluate him. How, yeah. do, how do we think he did? Armin, you first. Very, very good. Um, I, I might sound a little bit like a broken record, uh, but if he'd have given the kind of performance with the kind of um, raw attention to the policies and, and, and what he wanted to get out of in government, you know, with an emphasis on working class issues, with the kind of veracity that he gave in last week's perform debate performance, I think he'd be doing a lot better. Um, so I just see this as a great audition to be Secretary of State. Yeah. 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 I think I think maybe uh, AG, like yeah, for him, I, I would like. say, because uh, he's got a great, he does have a great criminal justice record. Um, and I mean, I, I think there are definitely still some legitimate criticisms about some of his past. Uh, like his his passport for uh, pharmaceutical companies, the yeah. money that he's gotten from them, and the ways that he's voted in favor of them in the past. But I don't know. He, I feel like he's he seems to be doing a lot better, and he seems to be one of the few that could have gone both ways. That I feel like has stayed more in progressive direction. Yeah. Um. So I think like I don't think it's gonna move him that much. I would say. More positive than negative for him. Yeah. 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 I thought his performance was strong. I liked that he butted in when no, when he wasn't asked a question about racial justice or racial inequality. <laughs> I liked that he was like, let me just back up real fast <laughs> to, to answer the question. I thought like some of the most compelling moments he had were, were focusing on the war on drugs, to Armin's point. Um, I, he said, marijuana in our country is already legal for privileged people. Yes. Yeah. That was great. That was such a strong point. Yeah. And I'd like I thought it really like carried. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um up next, let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard. Hey, Tulsi. Um so I've had mixed views about Tulsi Gabbard from the beginning. Um for one thing, she resigned from the DNC because she didn't like what they were doing to Bernie Sanders in 2016. And I will always respect her for that. Me too. Um, her anti-war record, I think, is... Uh, her her anti-war uh, stances of stop the endless wars make, make her voice very important in this race. Um, I think that the fact that she's always criticized for having met with Assad, um, in a lot of cases, I think is a little bit unwarranted because... It's unfair. Well... Because you gotta meet with your enemies. You yeah, gotta, I find that really weird. You gotta meet with like the part where Pete Buttigieg went after her for Very that. Very strange. Where, that. where he was like, "Oh, I would never meet with Assad." It's like you're you're if you're gonna be president, you're gonna and have to she, meet with terrible people. He lobbed that ball over the plate, and she hit a home. Oh run yeah, on it. Oh, yeah. She, she was like, like "Dude, come she was like, on." FDR met with Stalin. Um, Reagan yeah, met, met with Gorbachev, with Gorbachev yeah. and then he tried to throw the whole, well, Donald Trump, he met oh with my, Kim Jong-un. That's, like that's, that's like one of the least bad things that he's ever done. Yeah. In fact, I would have actually given him credit for that if it weren't for the fact that he, we didn't get anything from that Like He did a terrible job with it. But the fact that he had that meeting, that's a good thing. Like, Why yeah. are you criticizing him for that? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> also, Armin, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. The back and forth between her and uh, Kamala Harris. What are your thoughts on that? Listen, anybody who, I don't know, it, was it the second or the third debate? I think Tulsi was wearing the white dress suit. Where It she, was the second debate. She was lobbing up 
all of these things that Kamala had done as attorney general, putting, yeah. I think, 1,500 Californians in jail for marijuana, um, how she blocked evidence that would have gotten a man out of death row, something that Tulsi didn't touch on, but is very important to, to remember about Kamala Harris's time as attorney general when she did not go after Steve Mnuchin, mm. who was illegally foreclosing on elderly people, yeah. right? I mean, these are these are huge blisters, and she Tulsi made America aware of all those blisters to the point where it, I'm sorry, destroyed Harris's campaign. Oh, it did to the point where she Harris never fully recovered from oh, no. that. She, but the thing is, she kind of suicide bombed. Oh yeah, because she didn't really get anything from it. Harris just went. I disagree. I, I kind of disagree with that. I think that Gabbard got a lot of press attention and a lot of um, attention off the internet and from voters that she wouldn't have gone if she hadn't done that. I but know she's it didn't not, move. It didn't move, but a lot more people know about her. A lot of yeah. people. They, a lot of people know her on the same level as people knew, arguably Harris and Booker, like senators. And she's just a congresswoman from Hawaii. But it's interesting because if you look at the Real Clear Politics average, like if you see right after the first debate. Uh, Kamala Harris just went straight up. Like she was in the top, she was like tied with Bernie and Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as the second debate happens, she just dropped. Yeah. And yeah, I think Tulsi single-handedly tanked her campaign. And, and I think that I think that, that interaction was Harris basically trying to get back at her for that. But the thing is... She's a Russian well, asset. Well, well Harris... <laughs> Harris is pulling at like 4%. Gabbard is pulling at like 2%. What are you hoping to gain? <laughs> Trying to salvage her reputation um, because, and we can talk more about this when we get to Harris, but the, yeah. thing, the thing about why that, why Tulsi's attack worked so heavily on Harris was that Harris's response was so poor in yeah. the second debate. I had to do what I had to do as attorney general, all right? This yeah. is what I had, like, what? You're not addressing any of the specific issues that were yeah. brought up to you. And so when they kind of went at it, again, a kind of round two, yeah. so to speak, um, all Harris was doing was like, she's a Russian asset. You know, she goes on Fox News during the Obama trials. You know, like, like, and that's the thing that a lot of people criticize Harris, uh, not Harris, uh, Gabbard for, is that she is friendlier to a lot of right-wing publications yeah. than a lot of other of the presidential candidates. Um, she, I think she showed up on Carlson's program a couple of times. And I'm again, I'm not against yeah. people going on Fox News or talking with Carlson. I think some people are afraid she might be too buddy-buddy on him. And then, of course, she went on the Rubin Report. Oh, which... God, the Rubin Report. <laughs> Hold on. I got some I got some things to say about that. Dave Rubin, for those of you that don't know, is this uh, right-wing commentator that used to be like He's a... He's technically a liberal, a well, classical liberal. Yeah. He, he used to be like a progressive. He was actually on the Young Turks, and then he just kind of did this complete 180, and now he's uh, like this huge libertarian. Um, so... Gabbert was on Dave Rubin's show, and Dave Rubin started just lobbing these really stupid straw man talking points about the Democratic Party as a whole, where he was like, oh, yeah, the Democrats want open borders, but you're not for that. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think we should have open borders. No, no, no. The answer to that is no Democratic candidate is calling for open Mm -hmm. borders. That's a straw man argument. But she didn't call him out on that. Yeah. I wonder if that's like more of a point of like skill and experience in 
deconstructing that kind of challenge but she didn't deconstruct it no i'm saying like she may have lacked the skill and experience to do that like to to be in the middle of like a heated discussion and to be able to step back and say hey actually the point the context you just set yeah that's a really hard thing to do and we saw it in the debate like yeah people would like uh debaters and or commentators and or question people submitting questions would set context in the setup to their questions and the setup to their challenges yeah that would then the onus would then be on other people in the debate to either reset the context or answer those questions in a disadvantaged way because they were disadvantaged by the context that was set. And like, that's, that's a significant like strategic thing to overcome. And one that takes a lot of skill and you see it in really good debaters. You see it in someone like Bernie who like immediately deconstructs the context really fast, reconstructs his own and then like resets the conversation. Yeah. So, and another thing that I, I mean, this did, wasn't brought up in the debate, but this is something peripherally that kind of made me lose a lot of respect for Gabbard, which is she turned against Medicare for all. She, yeah. she went full on public option and that was extremely disappointing. Because, I was very mad about like, that. Like, that's, I mean, it's not that the anti-war, uh, the, the anti-war rhetoric and the anti-war uh, policy pushes are not still extremely important and still have... Uh, are needed in this primary, Mm -hmm. but I, I mean, that just, that just lowered her a lot in my eyes, you know? Yeah. And I actually found, it seemed to me like she was relying on foreign policy and like anti-war pushes almost like, like as a crutch, like pretty much every question. She knows what she's strong on. That's her brand. That's fair. That's totally fair. But she's not particularly strong on. That becomes apparent when that's all you're talking about. Her initial question was about like political rot and corruption in Washington. And she turned it instantly into a foreign policy question about serving the American people with which, foreign policy. Which to be, to be fair, how we conduct foreign policy, especially when it comes to arms dealing, can be very much indicative of a, of a corrupt ruling class. But I do agree sure. that there... You, you don't have to bring up that element on, say, healthcare. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Or at least if you do, try not to completely um, do like a 180 on the conversation sure. topic. Um, and I think that people care about... I don't want to get too deep into like trying to forecast what people are thinking, but like, I think people do care about foreign policy, but generally speaking, it's like, as it regards the United States and domestic issues are going to be literally and figuratively closer to home. And so being able to really effectively talk about that, not in a foreign policy context is important. Like, what are you just like, just your basic stance on like things like healthcare or like police brutality or, you know, gun violence, like just basic policy elements um, that we, we need to just get a sense of these foundations. Like yeah. we are aware that the foreign policy is your expertise, but try to get the foundations done right before you start, I guess, um, putting it all into some kind of policy suit, Which, you know? And the, mm-hmm. la- the last thing I'll say is that it's interesting because usually it's the opposite. Usually when it comes oh, yeah. to, uh, when it comes to candidates running for president, the ones that you know are serious are separated by based off the per, the foreign policy questions. Yeah, their ability to answer. Those yeah, their ability. So like, and it's interesting that for her, it's kind of the opposite. So yeah, yeah. fair enough. All right, so uh, Armin, um, overall impression. Um, I mean, she's never going to top her second debate performance. Just in terms of just what how monumental that performance was of her taking down Harris. Um, at this point, I, I'd say. I'm kind of a mech on her simply because it was just another opportunity for her to, you know, talk about getting out of endless wars and fighting the military industrial complex. She's kind of on repeat right now. And I, you know what? I kind of, 
respect that consistency, but as we kind of already established, we want to see more of your layers. And the fact that um, she she didn't talk too heavily about her newfound stance on Medicare for all, it almost yeah. it almost seems to come across that that stance might not be one hundred percent genuine, mm-hmm. you know. And I think if she had gone into it. Uh, it would have that would have been apparent. So that yeah. might have been a calculated element on her part. Again, this is just me being very cynical. But overall, in general, it's just you know classic Gabbard. Again, yeah. the attacks on her are unfair and unwarranted. Yeah, um, I think that she did more to hurt other candidates than to help her own. And the candidates that I think that she hurt are the ones that I don't want to win anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I think that she probably hurt Buttigieg a little bit. She yeah. probably hurt Harris a little bit. Um, so I don't think she did herself very many favors. I think yeah. it she did more to hurt other candidates. So I would probably put her like didn't hurt herself, didn't help herself. Yeah, I found I think that her weakness was aligned with a few other weaknesses that I saw on stage. Like just not making a compelling case why you should be the president and without saying, and that's why I think I should be president like Harris did multiple times. But like, but generally speaking, like she didn't have a narrative why she should be the person. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a compelling, kind of like Booger makes a compelling case for maybe being secretary of state. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Andrew Yang. Mm -hmm. Um, I like Andrew Yang. I've always liked Andrew Yang. Um, I really like Andrew Yang. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, another one of those people that I think gets a lot of unfair uh, flack from the media and other politicians. Yeah. Mm. Well, what I like about him is that, so like, you know, I had some criticisms about Tom Steyer earlier where I said he's got no elected experience. It doesn't feel like he's in here for a specific idea. And for Andrew Yang, he doesn't have elected experience, which, you know, is definitely a negative for me. But he has a policy it's so that clear. he cares so much about that he's there to put forth. Yeah. Like, and I love that so much. Yeah, every everything he says is, at least everything he said last night, is united in a single, like, clear narrative. And that is preparing America for the future. Yeah. And doing it in a way by, like, leveraging our intelligence and leveraging our, our like, our, like uh, education infrastructure. Like, mm-hmm. just, he was wearing a math pin. Do you Beautiful. see the math pin? Yeah. It, it Make for, America think harder. I love that so much. <laughs> and he's like... He's, I just figured that out just at this moment. Yeah, yeah. he's like yeah, data-driven. That's what, it, that's what it means. Yeah, that's one of his slogans. He's, like, data-driven. He's, like focused on information he's focused on the future yeah that being said i think that his focus on the future actually might be like both a benefit and a liability mm-hmm. like i'd say he's probably more future focused than most candidates on than the, the now focused well but i actually so at the expense in some cases of like making a clear case for what he's going to do right away so i would actually disagree that that's um bad for him because I don't think that his ultimate goal is to be the nominee. Yeah, I think that his ultimate goal is to make UBI part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. which I would say, like you're saying, he's no one. No one talks about UBI. No one talks about it. Uh, Which stands for Universal Basic Basic Income, Income. and basically, it's the idea that everybody in the United States should make at least a certain amount of money. It's it's the definition. It's like an obvious definition of like a safety net. Yeah, is a literal safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in case, in his case, a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, it's exactly. called a freedom dividend. And there, like, if you do look into it in depth, there are some legitimate criticisms of it. Definitely. Like, even from the left, 
Even from the left, there are criticisms. Like uh, there's uh, there's one part of it where like people on disability um, have the option to either use their disability or to use UBI, but the UBI actually gives them less money than the disability Mm -hmm. does. And there's an argument that uh, not everybody on disability is going to automatically know that. Mm-hmm. So if they do opt into the UBI, then they might not necessarily know they're actually going to be getting less money. Because the truth is to get the most benefits off of UBI, you have to integrate UBI with an overall systemic change in the welfare system. Like UBI yeah. should be kind of like a cherry on top to like a Sunday filled with things like Medicare for all and free mm-hmm. public college and yeah. increased. Um, Which he actually unions. views it as a replacement for free college. He doesn't believe in free yeah. college. He kind of views it as like a, oh, well, that's that's my version yeah. of free college because you're getting be getting a thousand yeah. bucks a month to spend on whatever you want, which is another disagreement that I would have yeah, with yeah. him. He, he, the thing is, I've when I first heard that concept and I heard it on Rogan of all places um, when he was on it, mad <laughs> yeah. respect to Rogan. Rogan's part of the reason why Yang is in the position he is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he does make an interesting point um, in that universities and some states really mismanage students' money. Like they really mismanage the amount of funding that they get. We can see this to the school that we went to, or rather yeah. than lowering tuition, we we spent money on buying a new gym, which there was no reason for that to but be. But there was a lazy river. <laughs> <laughs> Great, students can be Genius. lazy. Yeah, yeah. and they, broke. They, they can take some, some student loans, some heavy amount of debt. Yeah. Um, so I, I see his point in, in that regard. Um, but at the same time, uh, UBI cannot be the only thing. And that's a, yeah. a wonderful yeah. point you made about like disability, right? Like to make them pick and choose, I don't know. That's going to add a whole layer of problems. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. So I like UBI for a number of reasons. I like that it shows respect for the poor mm-hmm. in a way that I think a lot of welfare programs don't. Yeah. Yeah. Where we're, where you recognize, so, so, so many welfare programs are based in like liberal ideas of like saving people and often like saving people from themselves. And like, that's something that makes me really uncomfortable about the narrative of yeah. like the welfare Yeah, There's definitely state. a libertarian yeah. argument to be made for UBI. I like the fact that it shows, cause let's, let's, Think about who we're talking about when we talk about people that would benefit from UBI. Think about the poor. Like, these are not like, for the most part, like drug-addled, like people yeah. that are gonna gonna go like spend their money, like just waste it. No, no, these are people that don't have enough money to cover like their basic expenses. Don't have enough cash and credit in the in total to cover like $400 in unexpected expense. Mm -hmm. Like this could be life changing for people that are already doing their best and very effective money managers. And I like that. Um, But I think you're right that it's a part of a larger Mm -hmm. welfare system with, with some more controls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, my final thought on this is I, I'm not ready to say that I'm 100% for fighting for a UBI right now, but I'm definitely for making it part of the conversation mm-hmm. and shifting the Overton window to the point where when we, when I feel we are ready for it, both like politically and uh, economically, that it's already, that it won't be the first time we've heard about it. Mm-hmm, and yeah. I respect that. Mm-hmm. So Armin, final thoughts on uh, Andrew Yang. See, I have... When we were talking about how Gabbard seems to bring everything back to foreign policy and you don't see her, you know, talk too much about other elements of the domestic policy, 
Um, Andrew Yang is kind of uh, the opposite, where for the first time, at least for me, I saw him talking about a lot more um, issues. He wasn't always just bringing it back to UBI. That was always hanging on in the distance. Yeah. But he found a way to showcase to America his various perspectives on ele- on various elements of the society. The thing that comes to mind is parental parental leave. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are kind of talking about that. And he kind of, in his discussion on parental leave, that turned into a brand new topic in the debate. Yeah. Um, so I like how... He's broadening um, his his worldview, and I really I really dig that. Yeah, he didn't mention freedom dividend once. That's not true. He mentioned it one time. Oh, he did say it one that, time. Yeah, but like it's in like for the end of okay. a sentence that was <laughs> okay. like barely in there. I caught it. I was like, okay. wait, I I, I didn't time? catch it. I just yeah. wish he yeah. talked more, but that might not be. Yeah. That's I, not no, his fault. I I'm gonna jump in here and say that I totally agree with you. So like, I thought that when he did speak, he was eloquent. He did a good job convincing people of his ideas. I think because of how little he spoke, his his policy focus seemed too narrow. Yeah. Wider than historically focusing on mostly UBI. But like he's got, if you go to his website, he has a lot of policies on there that are like really interesting and really cool and has good arguments for them. Mm. Like he's he he has Medicare for All on his website. He, he's a supporter you, of Andrew, Medicare for, for All. But he didn't mention it. Yeah, he he is like has climate change proposals on his website. He didn't mention them. Yeah. yeah, and so like, yeah, he didn't have a lot of time to speak. But that was the other thing. If you look at what he's doing in the background, when there's like wide shots, he's not raising his hand at all. Like a lot of the a lot of the debaters will raise yeah. their hand saying like, I want to respond to this question. I have something to say. Yeah. He like, he seemed pretty passive about trying to get in and get yeah. his, his voice heard. My final thoughts on Andrew Yang, just uh, his arguments appeal to me in a lot of ways. Uh, I think he definitely is one of the candidates that does have a reason for being in it that he's direct about. And if, if you were to ask anybody like what he stands for, you could easily say what he stands for. And that's not the true, not true for all the other candidates for a lot of the other candidates. So, all right, let's talk about Amy Klobuchar. Ugh, Amy. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, Amy in the house. I can, I can, I can hear Armin seething a little bit. Yeah. Um, she talked way more. So why don't you start? <laughs> yeah, why, don't, why don't you get us started, Armin? Uh, I mean, Klobuchar's whole shtick up there was to try to be a source of inspiration and unified power and how I won places that were mostly red and how I can unify people of all kinds of political ideologies. And just, just I mean, that's that from a basic rhetoric sense, that was her whole shtick. And I wasn't about that, but just the way she delivered it at the same time, just she was the stalest of bread yeah. with the most whitest of mayonnaise spread on top of it. Which, by the way, that <laughs> argument is a false narrative. The idea that the way that you get more Trump voters to come to you is by being as moderate as possible. That's the data does not support that. In mm-hmm. fact, um, there's actually there are studies that have shown that when it comes to candidates in the Democratic Party or in the Democratic primary that Trump voters are defecting to, the top three are Tulsi Gabbard, Bernie Sanders, and Andrew Yang. Amy Klobuchar is like barely on the list. Yeah. So that whole argument is not actually based on any data. It's based on groupthink in Washington that mm-hmm. you need to triangulate your position and not be direct about what you believe in. And that's, I think, the biggest issue with Amy Klobuchar is she spends way more time talking about all the things that we can't do and barely any time talking about 
what she actually wants to fight for. Yeah. Yeah, I found her particularly uninspiring. Like, she was pretty policy light. She failed to make a lot of, like, points that really she brought home, I thought. Um, I think she, like, failed to make a lot of larger points or really make a narrative or argument for, like, why, she, like, she would be great. Um, one thing I did appreciate was that she was the first person to bring up Citizens United of the Night. Lots of people talked about, like, corruption. Lots of people talked about, like, money and politics. Um, but, like, very few people, like, named things that they wanted to do about it. It was pretty much stire with term limits. And... Well, you know why why that is? Tell me. Um, so a lot of people that are more progressive who might be progressive to the point where they would refuse to vote for someone as moderate as Amy Klobuchar in a presidential election, um, the biggest thing that's going to still get them to the polls to vote for a moderate is the understanding that she would nominate a judge that uh, would overturn Citizens United. Most of the candidates do talk about that. In fact, um, Bernie Sanders is the yep. one that really made that uh, central to his campaign um, when he, in 2016, when he refused to take any PAC money, which was just totally. unheard of. Everybody thought like, oh, well, we can completely discount this guy. He's sure. not taking any corporate money. He's not being corrupt. There's no way he could possibly win. When yeah, it came very actually, close. And he actually did very well. So the, I, I, what I'm saying is I totally agree with you and that it's still an issue and that it's yeah 2019 now, almost 2020. And mm -hmm. like, it's something that, we can't stop pushing on in favor of issues that, yeah, you know, yeah, have better names. Um, yeah, and she also, the media, like a lot of the mainstream media outlets, like uh, I saw this article from CNN, um, was listing her as one of the big winners. I found it weird. I mean, she went after Petey a little bit, but yeah. like, <laughs> but they also listed Pete as one of the big winners of the night. Like the same article listed yeah. them both as winners. And the funny thing is, they did that in the last debate. And she just stayed at 2%. Yeah. It's almost like it's subjective and it's not really data-driven. Yeah. I don't know. To, quote, yeah. to quote Corey Booker, are you high or something? You know, <laughs> with these outlets saying that Pete and Amy were the big winners of the night. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, there's y'all ate some bad mushrooms. You know? Yeah. We here at the Perspectrum Podcast do not take any external money from news outlets or no, candidates. No, we don't. No, we don't. If you would like to donate to the Perspectrum <laughs> Podcast. Yeah. We, we actually don't have any We don't have any funding of any kind. Not, not self-funded. If y'all have any Super Nintendo games you want to donate, uh, just hit um, me up. But yeah, ultimately, Amy Klobuchar, I would say, like, not as much as Tom Steyer, but she doesn't really have anything going for her. No. Mm -hmm. I mean, so some politicians have name recognition. She does not. Some politicians have strong, bold policies. She does not. Some politicians have strong personalities. She does not. And at this point, I would I, I would normally say like, oh, but I, I'm assuming she's a decent person in real life. But the thing is, I don't even know that because of all these reports that have come out about how she mistreats her staffers. And I think that you can tell a lot about a person based on who they treat that is just below them. Mm -hmm. And I, I there's really nothing... I, I don't really have very many... Uh, good things to say about Amy Klobuchar besides the fact that she's not Donald Trump. There were some people who said that the reason that she jumped into the presidential race and why some people would be considering voting for her was because of her performance during the Kavanaugh confirmation, 
where she was very, like, I guess, very assertive and aggressive towards the the hearing. That might be a reason. That's probably the idea that they thought in their head, like, she's a fighter. She can fight against, you know, Donald Trump. But as we've seen, if you can... Harris did a much better job. And Harris is another one of the reasons. That's part of the reason why Klobuchar, who, again, very stale bread with very white mayonnaise spread on top of it, is even in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So final thoughts on Klobuchar. Armin. Ugh. That's it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think she's going anywhere. Um, her, uh, let's not do anything bold. Let's not believe in anything. It just does not appeal to me. And considering the fact that a vast majority of the democratic party and actually the majority of the country are a lot more liberal than mainstream Washington thinks they are like on policies like Medicare for all, like free college tuition, uh, I just don't think she's going to appeal that much. Yeah, I remain unconvinced. Let's talk about Kamala Harris. Uh, Armin, you want to get started? She's um, she's had a fascinating arc, Kamala Harris. I believe, te- again, technically Yang was the first one to throw his hat in the ring, but Harris was like the first like mainstream person to like um, announce her candidacy. And it's just been... Um, I'm not going to say it's... It's sad to see her downfall because Kamala Harris is incredibly smug and arrogant. So kind of watching her completely fail to make a a, a dent in the polls is very satisfying to me. Um, and her debate performance was her trying to be all inspirational. I can be the person to unite America. I can be the person that will. we need to find a way to come together. And I'm the inspirational figure for that moment. Like she was trying to paint herself as some kind of like Messiah from Jesus. Because at this point, policy-wise, personality-wise, it's, 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 it's over. You know, and she tried, to, she tried to salvage the damage that Tulsi did to her. But it just came across as very petty. It's like, oh, she went on Fox News a couple of times. Wow. She's a traitor to the nation. Like, come on. Yeah. I, uh, Harris is someone that has been a very big, big disappointment to me. Cause I really, I really did try to like her. I really did. That's a bad sign. Well, I, because you use the word try to like, that's well, never a good sign. <laughs> well, because I was impressed by how she did in, um, the Kavanaugh hearings and, um, and there have been a lot of cases in which I've seen her make arguments in a very passionate way and, like I could see her walking all over Trump in a debate. Mm. I really could see that. But the thing is, and she knows for a while, she knew exactly what to say that progressives wanted to hear, but then she would immediately backtrack on it. Like let's not forget in the first debate when they asked who would be okay with getting rid of private insurance, the two people that raised their hand was her and uh, Elizabeth Warren. And I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, like, is she is she really trying to put herself as a progressive in this? But then later she went back on it. And even more later, she released her own plan, which was a very milquetoast attempt at capturing the essence of Medicare for all, but not actually capturing any of the substance of it. Mm -hmm. So she did a complete 180 on Medicare for all, which is really hard for me to get past. I'm. I mean, she's she's a chameleon. Yeah, she's a career politician. She knows the right things to say to to gain traction and, and what to do. And you can tell in terms of how she carries herself. And, and even then, like, again, what she did in her time as attorney general was abhorrent. 
But when you look at it from the context, he's a career politician trying to make her brand and get ahead. You can see why she did the things that she did. Yeah, yeah. Michael. Yeah, her message seems to be like summed up in like, I can do this effectively and you can believe me because I've done stuff effectively in the past. Yeah. Um, that being said, like, she had a couple of my like favorite moments and yeah. like favorite points. And I think that's actually one of her real strengths is being able to land her points effectively. Yeah. Like she said, um, one of my, like this was like my favorite moment of pretty much the whole night. She said, one of the most important responsibilities of the commander in chief is to concern herself with the security of our nation and homeland. And it took like the audience a second to like catch yeah. that. And I then they like piped that. up and I was like, Heck yeah. <laughs> well, well played. She yeah. she does have well played moments. Yes, I just, she does, but like that seems to be I just wish there was it. more substance, yeah, you know? I agree. Um I mean that sort of um kind of semi dunking she did, indirect dunking she did on Joe Biden when he was like um the only black female senator. We'll get oh to that. My we, will, gosh. we will get to that. Yeah. We will get to that yeah. with Joe Biden. We will get to that. I mean <laughs> we will get to that. She was a part um, of a very memeable moment of the night. Yeah. So. so um so yeah, I, I there are good things to say about uh Kamala Harris, but I don't I, I don't really think she had any moments of the night that really captured her strengths. Um, I don't know. I feel like she was just kind of there. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. So, um, so final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. I didn't. Um, I actually didn't appreciate her kind of cloying attempts to portray herself as a messiah in terms of like a lot of her rhetoric. I can bring people together. No, we we need someone strong and and to to unite America against all this. Like that was from what I can remember was the majority of her talking points. Was her trying to be like the the Californian Jesus, which I if you're doing that kind of stuff and you're very light on policy, that's a bad sign. But she's been in a bad place as we've kind of already established since the second debate. So kind of meh. Yeah. I I think that um it was a it was a very cheap shot that she took at Gabbert and I feel like that's not going to benefit her in any way. No. I don't know why she even did it. And that was the only moment in which she really stuck out and it fell flat. So I I don't think she's going to get anything from this. Her arguments didn't really appeal to me that much. Nah. I think <laughs> she's a talented rhetorician. Um but I don't know that she's that much beyond that yeah so next gentlemen let's talk about pete Buttigieg. yeah so michael you want to start us off yeah in a similar vein i think one of his like main skills and like the reason he's compelling is because you know his ability to like deliver points to like make maybe not the most compelling arguments but certainly like landing his points very effectively um i think i'm generally not too convinced by the inexperience as a virtue narrative um yeah definitely does not convince me it really like i don't really get it (laughs) like like anti-corruption is a different narrative than inexperience as a virtue but like he's trying to like kind of sell it as like not the only valuable experience is experience in washington and everything yeah well and also um one of the one of the points that i've heard made which i think is an important point to make i'm so the reason why a lot of people don't like why people want an outsider is because they want new policies, but a lot of his policies are very reminiscent yeah, of the insider new. politics of Washington, where he's calling for like uh, watered down policies like Medicare for all who want it mm-hmm. uh, and free college 
for most people. Yeah. Um, um, interestingly, like I thought that he was like one of the only people on the stage that tried to put that tried to like push the Medicare for all as a coercive policy. He's not like the only person that has done that in the past. No, no, no. But on this, it is, in this case. But I would like to I would like to mention that because I know that we've talked about on the podcast sure, before yeah. that whenever any politician tries to claim that Medicare for all is about taking away your insurance, they are being intellectually dishonest with you. That is a bullcrap point because it makes it sound like your private insurance is going to be taken and replaced mm-hmm. with God knows what when the stipulation of the uh, the 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 part of the Medicare for all policy that they're specifically referring to says that anything that the single payer covers cannot be covered by private insurance, which, as Michael pointed out, means that anything that is not can be. So anything that you would lose from private insurance, by definition, you are going to get through the single payer. So it is a bullcrap point, and I hate it when he says that. I hate it when people say that. Yeah, that was it does really not strange. add to any conversation. If you disagree with Medicare for all, fine, make an argument, but make it honestly. Yeah, I agree. I found it kind of strange that, like, well, I was pleasantly surprised that not more people made that argument on stage anyway, but I found it strange that it is still in circulation. Yeah, yeah. Armin? It's... um. Just kind of just to jump on that point, it's kind of like the semi, uh, it's the moderate Democrat um, answer to why Medicare for all sucks is that that ultimate talking point. Um, And it is, uh, I mean, let's just be honest, it it is from a layman's perspective, that whole concept of how Medicare for all um, can cover a lot of what private insurance and you can still have other elements covered by private insurance, but that can supplemental. be supplemental. Yeah. yeah, supplemental, but that's a complicated element for a lot of average Americans and a lot of, poli- yeah. and we've seen this throughout history. A lot of politicians um, take advantage of that lack of information to push mm-hmm. a certain narrative where they obfuscate certain facts. So I actually, that exchange that I just witnessed there is very important yeah. because the reason why people like Buttigieg and um, Amy Klobuchar and Michael Bennett can make that argument is because it's, it is inherently a complicated thing to dissect, especially yeah, yeah. in a soundbite stage. Yeah, which the fact that they know that and they make the point anyway, that's what really gets yeah, me. They know it's like there's because I mean, Pete Buttigieg. He's 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 a smart guy. He's very extremely smart. smart. Yeah, clearly. Um, and incredibly, he's he almost knows. like shockingly articulate. Yeah. So he knows. Not a single wasted word up there. No. Yeah. Really effective. Yeah. Um. So there, there's definitely something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, I think that Pete Buttigieg is trying to uh, position himself as the young as the younger candidate to make the implication that. Because as a young candidate, he has new ideas, but that's not necessarily true. No. In fact, most of the demographics of the people that vote for him are older Democrats. And also, he's got the most billionaires donating to his campaign than mm. any other candidate. Well, he's got a very strong chin. Yes. <laughs> so, billionaires love that cleft chin. So, uh, fi- final thought? Um, final thoughts? My, uh, the, the one thing that he should have taken the time to address that right now is like his biggest like Sisyphus rock that he has to push is the fact that his black support is abysmal. Oh yeah. Um, and that, uh, I even like faked it at like a rally. Like that is all kinds of level of dishonest. He also, he also posted a picture on his website. Um, 
where he was trying to, it, it was about his African-American outreach. And the picture was apparently stock footage from Kenya. Jesus. Uh, there are clear elements of grifting and flaws with Buttigieg that we've obviously outlined. I think he is not to be underestimated because his public presence and the way he articulates everything almost in a shocking way. If you didn't know his policy positions and a lot of the various controversies that he's involved himself was, um, I would argue that he looked the most presidential and commander-in-chief out of all the candidates just by his poised president and, uh, and, and demeanor. And that can go a long way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the um, oh that Buttigieg, I like him. Appeal yeah. really goes far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually think that Pete Buttigieg is going to get the most out of that debate, not because he did well in it, but because he did like okay in a lot of ways. Like he he made a lot of points that if you know how to dissect it, they were really bad points. Um, like him going after uh, Tulsi for talking to Assad, his point about Medicare for all. Um, I mean, his jumping around the question of uh, subsidies for farms. Um, but I think that the debate is going to benefit him more because I think it hurt some of the people that are uh, a little bit more in his way. Yeah, I think we can't underestimate the momentum that Iowa can ha- that Iowa can have, and the role that momentum plays in this kind of stage of the primary. Um, I think I agree with Armin. Like one point I really wanted to bring up was like Harris specifically made the point about someone that can, can appeal to all voters, and he like jumped in and yeah. was like, you know, I can appeal to black voters, and tried to like make the point and and everything he talked about with that question or with that response was about being able to empathize with a minority position, which is like important. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And, and I like that he said like, I can't know what a black person experiences, but I can empathize with being a minority and being discriminated against. I actually thought that was a decent answer. I thought that was a decent answer. What I thought it was light on was he specifically talked about like, I have diverse communities in my city as a mayor. And he didn't he didn't, he go, didn't into, go into any detail or talk about in any substance, like not even a, an anecdotal experience about like how, like an interaction he had. Like it was like, no, no, they're there. They really are there. <laughs> I have and some like, black friends. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, it was very like, it, it, it just, it didn't ring true for me. Yeah. So. All right. So let's talk about Joe Biden. So I'd like to I'd like to say a few quick things before we get really into this. Um, I'm kind of at the point where I don't want to say anything too mean or bad about Joe Biden. I will. You will. Okay. You you can because good I, man, Michael. Good cause, man. Because here's the thing. I'm concerned about his health at this point. With each debate, there's like he's stepping all over the place. He uh, he seems to have like a time dilation, um, I'm concerned that he might be showing the early signs of Alzheimer's. And I, and I do not say that like as a, any type of political statement, I say that as a, um, as someone that really does empathize with that. So I don't want to say anything too mean about Biden tonight. My turn. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought Biden's performance was weak in pretty much every way he really could like couldn't get 
and like finish each thought before the next one came. And maybe that's like the point you were making, but like rhetorically, that's a really hard thing to overcome. Like interrupt, he was interrupting himself regularly with like different points. And that's just on the rhetoric side. Like he, he specifically said in what amounted to his opening statement that like the most important thing a president had to have was to defeat Trump and get more, um, like Democrats into the Senate. But if you're president, you've already defeated Trump. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, but it it was so clear that his whole, his whole narrative, his whole argument for why he should be president is that he's the only one that can solidify power for the Democrats. As polls are showing, that's less and less true. And that argument is falling flatter and flatter. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it's not a good argument to begin with. Yeah. A lot of polls are showing, some polls are even showing Bernie doing better than Biden in head-to-head matchups. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it that South Carolina poll that has Biden up by thirty points is incredibly concerning. I mean, I, we're I'm not I'm it's not one state about but South still. Carolina. Like South Carolina was going to go to Biden. Yeah. Um. But like, I. But yeah, I I don't think that that argument is particularly. It's not an effective argument for me. But when you do think about it, a lot of like most of the Democratic Party. Is not with Biden on policy. Yeah. Like they, they're pro Medicare for all. They're pro college tuition. They're pro legalizing marijuana. Um, but most of the Democratic Party's number one priority is to defeat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And there have been, there have been a decent amount of polls that have shown Biden doing the best against Trump. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them are starting to fluctuate a bit, but. I would say that because he doesn't have the policies going for him, that that's the thing that he really does have going for him. So yeah. I'm not surprised that he's making sure, that argument. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. It seems to me like he's billing himself as Obama 2.0. Yeah. And to me, that has three really important problems. One, Obama's administration wasn't perfect, and he has been perfectly unwilling to acknowledge that in any way he specifically called out at one point like oh that's not to say i hope that there was any problem with the perfect presidency of obama yeah but at the same time um whenever someone brings up any issue with the obama administration he's like oh i was the vice president i like i, I didn't i didn't make that decision <laughs> yeah. i was like, the vice president sim- yeah. captain of the pivot yeah. that, is, that yes. is a little bit uh, yeah so so Armin, second, you, oh sorry sorry, sorry second, second of the three points is that the country is not the same country that it was when obama was the president, yeah. certainly not when he started being the president. Like to your point, we're like further left. The Overton w- window has shifted. The policies are bolder. Like overall, we need a stronger narrative than that one. And third is that o- Biden is not Obama. Yeah, Mm-mm. Obama was an incredible leader, an incredible speaker, a record of values and judgment, and a great background, a great clear vote for me argument, and like all of that in my opinion, falls flat for Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. he Biden has a ridiculous amount of baggage when you just look into his history. It's very likely that once the Senate hearings um, happen on the impeachment trial, again, there's a different topic, but his name is going to be brought up a lot. And that's going to be more, people are going to be more aware of some of the, the problems that Biden has had in the past. Um, I, I'm also kind of, to, to Nathan's point, I am also kind of scared, not scared, but I don't want to talk too much about just how you know flubbery his whole performance was. I mean, obviously, the most memeable moment of the night was when he said, the only black uh, uh, female senator uh, endorsed me. And Kamala's like, not this one. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I like was the, just, what are you doing, sir? Yeah. Um, the real- or, or when he was talking about violence against women, oh. and he said we have to keep punching and punching and punching <laughs> that issue. And it's like, are you kidding me? No. His, his just like general awareness. I forgot of about like the that one. Pilot, that was, like, ugh. The way to speak ugh. to yeah. his so what I was, audience. When, like, when, when, we saw, when, when I was watching it, I was watching it with Jess, um, and she just kind of like whispered to me, like, did he just, she just say punch away at like the pilot? What? What? And I was like, yeah, yeah, he did say that. That's oh, Biden, <laughs> oh, Biden. Like, um, so it, it I, I, there was some tone deaf moments uh, for Biden, definitely. Yeah. Um, and there was the, there was that really silly moment where he said the only uh, black female senator ever to be elected has endorsed me when the second one is standing right up there. I want to say like, okay, it's people make mistakes. Sure. We're not perfect. But this has been a consistent thing with him. Yeah. That's and, why I'm concerned yeah. about Alzheimer's. And generally, the thing with the black senator moment was that when those issues are front of mind for you, when those things are really important to you, that's not a mistake you're going to make. Yes, it's a mistake. Potentially a reflection of priorities. Yeah, yeah. He does. Let's be real. He does need to go, and he does need to be taken down. Um, this idea that he is the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump when we just see his debate performances, when 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 we see the amount of baggage that Biden has, uh, makes Hillary look like Barney the dinosaur. You yeah. know, it's not. It's not. It's going to be very <laughs> ugly. And Trump, because let's be real, Trump is a speed freak who um, it, it has almost a ridiculous amount of energy. He's going to walk all over Biden and even like probably mock him in, in yeah, the debate. He's going to make him look at, like a child. Yeah. And, and Barney notoriously travels very light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, final thoughts real quick. Um, I mean, my opinion of Biden has pretty much stayed the same since he entered into the race. Um, he really needs to be taken down. And I think the priority is to do and Maybe this is one of the benefits of Bloomberg entering the race. Um, the centrist vote needs to be split because Biden is bad news. Yeah. He's bad news. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't think he did himself any favors. Uh, I think that the, the thing is, the biggest thing he's got going for him is the perception that he's the strongest person to defeat Trump. And the more gaffes that he has in which he ends up looking really confused, um, the more that goes away. And to be clear, this has nothing to do with age. This is about cognitive ability, cognitive function. And he's kind of on the decline with that. And it's really sad for me to say, and I'm, I'm not saying that, I, I'm really not saying that in any type of, personal attack or any type of uh, malicious intent, I am truly concerned about him. I don't think he's ready to be president. I second that. Pretty much like, I think that's the result of all of the variables and all the addition and subtraction we're talking about is that it just doesn't add up to the person we need. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. Why did she talk um, after every other person? And at one point, um, there were two questions in a row that were given to her towards the end. I like Elizabeth Warren, but to say that MSNBC was not biased towards her, I mean, y- you'd have to be blind. Yeah, I think there there is definitely a little bit of an underlying bias because um, I think that a lot of mainstream media does not want Bernie. And they see, a lot of them see Warren as kind of the alternative that like she's more progressive than they want her to be but i'm um, 
she a lot of them know like she's progressive enough to get most of the progressive like she's yeah. got a, a pretty good amount of goodwill among the progressive vote and just enough uh of the establish of goodwill with the establishment to for her to be like palatable to them yeah she's as good of a compromise as it gets yeah 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 i thought she like had a disproportionate amount of time compared to other candidates but Kudos to her for fighting for it. Yeah. She didn't waste a single moment of it. She, she had her not. hand up with every question. It was so clear, as it is always clear, that her energy is there, her competence is there. She knows what she's talking about on every issue that she speaks about. She's like a clear, strong candidate. Yeah. And I would fault MSNBC. I don't fault Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, yeah that's a fair point. Um, also... One thing that I would definitely fault MSNBC for is I wanted to hear more defense of her healthcare plan because that was a huge thing. She she just released uh, her healthcare plan, then she released her transition plan, and there are a lot of criticisms that you could put at that. And I would want to hear how she addresses those criticisms. Yeah, yeah. I want a Bernie to Warren like duke it out over healthcare, like dedicated debate. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. heavyweight be title winner goes home. Like, <laughs> It's going to be inevitable. Um, And the thing is, especially when she brings it back to her personal life, when, you know, she talks about how she she really is a rags to riches story. Like she did really come from a working class family and the way that you can get that sort of intimacy from her rhetoric that kind of like I can I can get this person as as a person. I can get a lot of her sense of her personality and how like well she connects um, through through an audience, through a lot of her rhetoric. Um, I, again, it's the, the, the reason why it's important to have something as pure as possible for Medicare for all, like Medicare for all, why is that important? Um, it's because when you inevitably have to enact that piece of legislation, there are going to be inevitable compromises. Yeah. And you want to start from the top. Yeah, that's a great point. You yeah. want to start, I want Medicare for all, because the moderate Democrats and especially the Republicans will be like, no, okay, how about a public option? Maybe. But if you start with, I want a public option, no, how about tax credits? Yes, that's what you'll get. Yeah, yeah. totally. And that's exactly if how we got the Affordable Care Act. negotiation, that's like, how it works. Yeah. Like Obama, during the campaign, he started out with, uh, he started out significantly... Uh, more to the left when he was running for uh, when he was actually running in the primary. And then he came out and said, okay, now I'm going to go with a Republican plan that was completely created by the heritage foundation. Um, Hey, Republicans, you want to come on board? And none of them came on board. So, and that's another thing. And I think this was something that Biden emphasized that um, just to kind of bring it back to, to your point, this idea that there are moderate Republicans who are going to come to the side of Democrats. Um, I feel like the entirety of the Obama administration proved that that's a fantasy, and especially with the Merrick Garland confirmation. There's no uh, uh, appealing, there's no getting moderate Democrats, uh, moderate Republicans on your side. There's no being buddy-buddy with Republicans. Republicans have proved that they're willing to gut you in the throat to get what they want. Well, to be... Let's let's clarify, that's not necessarily true this Thanksgiving when you have uh, dinner (laughs) Republican (laughs) family members. Yeah, keep it civil. Just butter knives. And also, and also, there is one thing I would push back on that with, which is, um, 
It was the vote of Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and John McCain that ultimately saved the Affordable Care Act from being repealed. So let's not forget about that. Sure, sure. Um, So now... But they're a major minority. They are very, yeah. very special examples. I'm yeah. talking but about in general. But credit, credit where credit is due. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to forgive Susan Collins for voting for Kavanaugh. Oh, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I, I, I hope that That's she pretty unforgivable. I, I hope that I hope that she gets politically destroyed in Maine when she's running yeah. for re-election over that. But let's not forget that she is part of the reason why we still have the Affordable Care Act. And we yeah. credit where credit is due. Yeah, you know what? I, I will I will give those three individuals themselves uh, th- th- their piece. Yeah. Overall, I think that Warren and Bernie have the strongest, most cohesive and comprehensive narrative about why they're there, what they stand for, and, mm. and their reasoning. Like, it's just, it's unassailable. Yeah. In in you just can't there's no sense in which they're being political. It's just so clear that like they're there because they believe in these yeah. things. And I think yeah. that's really powerful. And I believe I believe everything that Warren says I think that I feel that she is genuine yeah, in a absolutely. lot of rhetoric. I, I again, my whole skepticism is that she has shown an Obama-esque willingness to compromise on her beliefs. Um, in order for political gain, again, that does make sense. Yeah, and we. Have and it to doesn't look- mean that she that those aren't true beliefs that she has. Sure, but she is willing for at, the, at times to for, compromise. But for the sake of boosting her um, campaign, for the sake of boosting her political brand, yeah. she's willing to do it more so than Sanders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're compromising in order to get something done instead of nothing done, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you're doing it specifically to boost your brand that that's a little bit problematic. I agree. I think to your point earlier, Armin, like uh, politics is a process of negotiation. Mm-hmm. And when you start off on a weaker footing, you will end up in an even worse position. Yep. That's just how, like, you don't, you don't go to a used car lot and like try to sell your car and start off with like the Kelly blue book value. Yeah. You start with a higher price because yeah, you know, they're going to counter with something lower. And like, I think that, Warren knows that and understands that like getting something in place means like putting together bold plans that you're going to have to work mm-hmm. with across yeah. the aisle. Yeah. So final thoughts on Warren real quick. Yeah. Um, I've always, I mean, she's, um, I've always liked her attention to detail and policy and the fact that she has brought policy discussion and doing as best as she can to make it palatable to as many people as possible, something that I think she deserves a tremendous amount of, of respect for. Um, I've always, I liked, I always like hearing about her, her wealth tax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's always something that necessary to keep in the, the conversation. I think that she, in general, she gave a very good performance. One of her strongest points. I, again, I do think that MSNBC is biased towards her. Um, but again, as I think both of you said, it's something to hold MSNBC accountable and not necessarily uh, uh, Warren accountable. Yeah. Um, but you do have to step back and take a look at her campaign in general. I'm just worried that she makes too many compromises at this early stage in the game. Yeah. Um, and I don't want her to do that. Just keep it as bold as possible. Yeah. Um, Warren, I mean, Warren has always had a special place in my heart. I used to, um, you know, before... Bernie's run back when he was still like an independent. Um, whenever anybody would ask me like, "What's your political philosophy?" I would say, "Oh, I'm a Warren Democrat." 
Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember arguing with you about it. Yeah, I remember that back when you were still a libertarian. Yeah. Um, so, uh, please, please, an objectivist. <laughs> I don't have anything bad to say about her. I don't know if her performance, it, it, this was her weakest performance of any other debate, but it's hard for her to do better than she did in the other debates because she killed it in all the other debates. So she didn't do particularly bad, but she wasn't quite as good as she's been in the other debates. The fact And the fact that she, relative to under, other candidates, did as well as she did, and this was like her off game, yeah. just like speaks to her skill. Exactly. I think, Armin, your point was spot on. She and Bernie Sanders together have done more to make the argument and make the argument better for their progressive policies than anyone else. Mm. And I think she's continuing to do that. Um, I also like her detail-orientedness. I think that I'm more worried about what she didn't say on the stage, to Mm. Nathan's point, than what she did. So I'm kind of curious to see how that'll turn out. Sure. All right, and finally, let's talk about Bernie Sanders. So Nathan, I think you should probably go first. I should go first? Okay. Um, no, he's terrible. I hated him. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, folks. Yeah. Don't yeah. No, I thought, I thought Bernie Sanders did a pretty good job. I was, I feel like he, he only spoke like twice. They only let him speak like twice in the entire first that was half. So bothersome. Which, look, I'm not trying to put on a tinfoil hat and say that there's a global conspiracy against him, but when stuff like that happens, like you, you can't get pissed off at Bernie supporters for saying, "I think there might be something happening here." No, there is a. Con- I th- um, I'm pretty sure there's a conspiracy going on <laughs> towards animosity towards Bernie. With there's the animosity. Media. I don't know. I don't know how much of it is like knowingly, but there's definitely. I think it's pretty knowingly. I I I, I don't know how knowingly it is, but like um, I mean overall, when he when he speaks, um. A lot of people are off put by the anger, but he's a lot to be angry about. I mean, keep in mind, this is a man who has been uh, ahead of his time since he was a mayor, the mayor of Burlington in several policies. He's been making these same arguments for like the last 40 years. In fact, for almost every single terrible decision that the United States has made in the last like three decades, you can go back and find a Bernie Sanders speech warning us not to do it. You can find him warning us not to do that huge crackdown on crime that came with the crime bill. You can find him warning us not to overturn Glass-Steagall. You can find him warning us not to go to Iraq. And he turned out to be right about every single one of these. He was making pro-LGBTQ arguments as far back as the 90s. This is a guy who has always been on the right side of history, and now he's still struggling. In 2019, he's still struggling to try to get the rest of the elected Democrats with him. He's gotten the country with him, but the elected Democrats are still trying to resist, and for a lot of them, I would say... It's because of either uh, groupthink, you know, at best, or donors and corruption at worst. Yeah, I think his narrative is super strong. I mean, he, he said right in the beginning, his opening statement, rally the people in the cause of justice. And it's so clear. And I think to your point, it's so obvious from the way that he speaks about issues 
about the a broad range of issues from far, foreign policy to domestic issues that he's been thinking about um, these problems and challenges for a really long time. And his thoughts are clear. He's like making, he makes connections that are like outside of the box and way beyond the stuff that other candidates are making. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's willing to reset the context and go after things that are really important. I love the moment when he like broke down the false dichotomy between like foreign injustice and like being pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. Yeah. Like he's super effective at breaking that down. Yeah. I just think like, and also, I love in the first really question, convincing. in the first question, when they were talking about impeachment, which I understand, like, that's a big, that's big news of the day. But like, these presidential candidates, their, their presidency has nothing to do with impeachment. Yeah. So why is that a debate question? Yeah. And I love how he kind of like, he went and said, yeah, yeah, look, he is the most corrupt president in history. He did commit crimes. But that's not how we're going to win. Like, we're not going to win by uh, talking about Trump. We're going to win by talking about what we need to like what we as Democrats stand for, yeah. you know, he pivoted it to the, like he, he answered the question really quick, but then said, but this is what we should be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And in sweeping everything together, he combines and connects issues in a way mm -hmm. that's really effective and it's an effective synthesis. And like, that's how he effectively answered that question about impeachment. Yeah. He said, oh no, like by pursuing justice for the American people in politics and in the private sector, impeachment will come along with that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's um, given how there was a lot of talk throughout that night about a candidate that can unify um, Americans, both rich, poor, liberal, conservative leaning. Um, and you've mentioned before that Bernie, along with Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard, received the most like cross Trump support from any candidacy, and you can definitely see that. And in a, Bernie has just gotten more authentic and more spontaneous as these debates have gone on. Um, and that when he is talking on stage, he's so magnetic and so energetic, completely displacing any sort of like rumors that his health or his age could be a risk of it because this guy is fighting for his life. And you can see it's like, I may go down, but I'm going to do the best I can. All right. <laughs> and you got to you got to respect. And I've always respected that about Bernie. Um, another thing uh, kind of going to uh, his discussion on on dealing with uh, authoritarian states and governments. He particularly mentioned Saudi Arabia. He particularly mentioned mm -hmm. elements of the Israeli government. Um, he was, I think, maybe the only candidate that talked about um, dealing with the Palestinian issues and a lot of the human rights abuses that they go through um, as as being illegally occupied by the Israeli government. Um, and I, I, when people say that he's bad on foreign policy, I bring up that element, and then I bring up what I think is one of the most crucial foreign policy bills in the last decade, which is to end U.S. support mm. for the Saudi genocide in Yemen. Yes. It was a bipartisan bill that he wrote with Mike Lee. It was passed in the House. It was passed in the Senate. And Trump took a look at that bill, which was simply, hey, let's just stop funding Saudi Arabia's efforts to commit genocide in Yemen. He looked at that and said, you know what? I like the blood money. Forget Yemeni children. I like that Saudi money. Yeah. Um, and also also major credit to Ro Khanna for leading the charge in the house. Yes, Ro, Ro Khanna. Listen, uh, Diane Feinstein, um, that's your successor. Ro Khanna's going to take your Senate seat one day. <laughs> that's just a fact. He's, he's the way of the future. Oh, yes, please. Um, <laughs> you know, he... The if the media was more generous towards him, he'd be 
leading in the polls 30 points, if it was generous. But because he deals with such, I would say, a hostile political environment from both the media and the DC elites and Democrats in general, um, that's sort of the barriers that he has. And I hope that come Iowa, that people will see through that yeah. and understand who he is as a person and why he really is our best shot and re- how he really is the way of the future and has always been that way and just, you know, fight for him. Yeah. So based on what we've been talking about, I, I assume that you're a Klobuchar supporter. Yeah. And you're he, planning on I'm voting Amy for Amy 2020. Um, <laughs> I love Minnesota mayonnaise all day long. I live for that. I inject it into my veins. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, ultimately it, you know, Bernie did what Bernie does and what Bernie does is, uh, fight against corruption, fight for policies, shift the Overton window. Um, like I said earlier, he's gotten most of the country over to his side. He just needs to bring Washington over to his side. And I think that the best way to do that is for him to be the president. Um, so, uh, final thoughts on Bernie? Um, again, if he wasn't cudgeled by such abject hostility towards the mainstream media and towards um, the Democratic establishment, some would argue maybe some Democratic voters themselves, um, especially the more centrist moderate ones who view Bernie as kind of like a pariah, he'd be leading in the polls. Um, it's going to be... I mean, he's he's been my man for a while. Um, I think his purity of vision is vital. And he, because of his energy, because of his, you know, um, in ways not care about looking like a clean and polished politician, but just speaking from his soul is going to do very well uh, for Trump. And this is another um, thing that I just want to get off my chest before uh, Democratic candidates. Uh, please talk about how the corporate tax rate, re- lowering it from 35% to 21% is not producing any tangible mm. economic benefits. And this fact led to the point where the upper 1%, the upper class are paying less in taxes than everybody else. Why is that not talked about over and over and over again? You want to uh, 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 fight against the Trump economy? That's your talking point. Why is that never brought up? Yeah, And also to that point, if any Democrat talks about raising the corporate rate, but they give you a number, any number that is less than 35%, then they're basically capitulating that the corporate tax rate that the Republicans did to an extent was a good thing. So make sure to... Uh, make sure to hold Democrats oh, to their words course. on that to make sure that if they're talking about repealing the Trump tax cuts, that they're at least saying put it back up to 35. In my opinion, it should be higher, but at yeah. least to at 35. At the very least, that benchmark. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, my th- th- final thoughts for Bernie Sanders. Um, I don't think that he spoke enough, um, but that wasn't his fault. Uh, I think that he needed more time to speak. Um, I think that he's going to get more time to speak. Once we start getting rid of those 2%, those 1% candidates, um, I just, and it's, it's, it's irritating. It's irritating that, uh, we're not having a lot of substantive arguments because there are so many people speaking that, you know, someone makes an intellectually dishonest point about Medicare for all. And, you know, moderators are like, okay, Bernie, you have 30 seconds to tell us why that's wrong. It's like, well, it's more complicated. It's, you can't just say all of that in 30 seconds. So I would say that, um, he has been on the rise 
for a little bit uh, ever since his uh, second, the, the last debate, uh, because people, well, first off, there is his endorsements from like three fourths of the squad. Uh, there is the fact that he did a pretty good job in the debate after his heart attack. So that put aside a lot of the concerns that his heart attack would slow him down. Um, I think that he's going to continue to rise. I think that the people that he really needs to try to do better than are either already falling or going to fall even more as a result mm-hmm. of this. So for that reason, I would say that he is the biggest winner of the night. Generally speaking, I try to make my political determinations on someone's substance. I like to focus on what a candidate has to offer, what they have to say, and where their arguments are. Um, and in that way, I think Bernie wins. <laughs> I really do. Like I, I have traveled a significant way from my uh, in, in like my thinking, even in like recent weeks. Um, but I think he's like making the most cogent arguments. He seems like the one most on top of. Um, doing the right thing for the American people. Um, I don't feel qualified to say whether I think that he could like win the day, but I think he's got as good a chance as Warren, a better chance than Biden and who else needs bear mentioning. (laughs) Everybody thought that that heart attack would completely take him out. But the fact that he is in many ways emerge even more energetically afterwards and to the point where in a lot of he's, he's eating salads now. He is. He's a good man. (laughs) Cut out those whoppers and those McRibs, Mr. Sanders. I know they're delicious. This has been probably our longest podcast and it's kind of needed to be. Oh yeah. But, um, let's do a quick, Check in on the polls since the yeah, debate. Quick, quick it's check in important. on the yeah, polls. So. Um, so the real clear politics average. All right. Let's um what day was the debate? Last Wednesday. Last Wednesday. So six days ago. So, what day so the nineteenth? Twenty fifth, nineteenth. The twentieth. Okay, okay. Or was it the twentieth? Hold on. No, it was the nineteenth. It's okay. It was the nineteenth. It was yeah. So since the debate, um, Biden has risen from 28 to 28.3 to uh, up to 37 and then just dropped today down to 29.8. Um, Sanders rose from or actually fell from 18.3 uh, down to 16.7 at his low point and then is up today at eight or at 19.3. Uh, Warren was during the debate at uh, 19.3 and then fell down to um, a low of uh, 18 and then is today at 18.5, so just below Bernie. So really Warren and Bernie are head-to-head. Um, Biden's been above them basically since the beginning of October, um, and he dipped before the debate but has risen significantly since then. Yep. That name recognition is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that... That ends this roller coaster. Let's end up with uh, uh, highlights of the week. So um, every single podcast, we try to end with some highlights. I know that we skipped ass hat of the week and tips for good this week, but that's because we really wanted to do a nice in-depth dive into the debate. So uh, Michael, you want to start us out? Absolutely. Um, as always, my initial highlight is that I got to see my lovely wife, Bree, this past weekend, and we had a great weekend. My second and... Uh, 
really exciting highlight is Thanksgiving. I'm super excited to be with my family this coming weekend. I can't wait to see my brothers and um, my uncles and aunts, and we're, we have we always get together and eat good food and shoot guns and have a fire. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> nice, Armin. Your highlight of the week. All right. Well, I am a. Um... I'm a bachelor, so my highlight of the week is going to be watching The Irishman on Wednesday. Martin Scorsese is The Irishman. I've been waiting for that film in, in so long um, to to enjoy. Uh, that's kind of be my major highlight of the of the week. And because I'm not married, I'm spending a disproportionate amount of time playing a game called Death Stranding. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't heard. It's a game. It's kind of like Bernie Sanders the game, um, <laughs> play as played by Norman Reedus. Uh, Norman Reedus is carrying various packages of aid to reconnect a destroyed America. Hmm. Um, so instead of you know baking a turkey with my wife, I am delivering uh, uh, pills to a hobo in Minnesota with my digital husband, Norman Reedus. So that's <laughs> my highlight. Yep. My highlight is uh, the class that I teach at the community college um, did their persuasive speeches this last week, and they were so good. Like, I was so happy. I was so proud of them. Um, at this point, I'm assuming none of them are listening because I haven't told them about this podcast. I wait until the end of the semester to tell them about it. But if you're going back and listening to this at the end of the semester and you were in my class, uh, you were my highlight of the week. You were awesome. I'm so proud of all of you. Great job. And that's... And that's the Perspectrum. Thanks so much for tuning in listening, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you again next week. And thanks to thanks to Armin for yeah, stopping huge by. Huge thanks. Huge yeah. thanks to Armin. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.